0: Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Amanda White here.
1: And it's Dr. Nelson Ma. And welcome to Count Me In, a weekly podcast uh, dedicated to providing an accounting perspective on business news from Australia and around the world.
0: And uh, I hope everybody had a good fortnight off. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really fantastic time at Waco, which is the World Congress of Accountants. If you've mm-hmm. never seen 5,700 accountants in a room together, then uh, make sure you check out Amanda Loves to Order on YouTube and you can see my daily vlogs where we interview a whole lot of people about the future of accounting, mm-hmm. including the topic that we're going to talk about today. But before then, Nelson, let's get stuck into how's the market looking? Is the world going to end?
1: Okay, so uh, no uh, evidence on whether or not the world will end at this particular point. I think we'll continue as far as um, as far as the markets will go. So I'll just run you through the basic indicators for the week. So gold is trading at sixteen hundred and sixty eight dollars uh, per ounce Australian. Uh, so it's dropped about forty or so dollars since we last spoke two uh-huh. weeks ago. Uh, the Australian dollar, so one Australian dollar buys seventy two U.S. cents. So that's up about a cent on since we last spoke. Uh, the oil price is tr- uh, trading at about 73.24 Australian dollars per, um, per barrel. And so that is dropped about $6.650 since we last spoke. And the All Lords Index is down another 60 points from uh, two weeks ago, and it's trading at 5,852.
0: So this is a lot of mixed signals because... With gold dropping, that sort of indicates a bit more stability. I think the U.S. market has stabilised a little bit since the midterm elections. Mm, We saw the Democrats take the House, though the Republicans have got their stranglehold, have tightened their stranglehold on the Senate. Um, So maybe that gives the market a little bit more confidence. Um, I guess if maybe we'd seen a Republican win in the Congress in the U.S., that might have resulted in some different...
1: Yeah, it was, Financial.
0: Cons- it was consistent with expectations. So it's interesting because
1: there were, you know, the last couple of weeks was pretty bad in terms of the stock market. Then they spoke about a bit more of a recovery and then there was pretty good data in terms of um, employment coming out of the US uh-huh. just before the midterms. Uh-huh. And so we expected a recovery. But now there's more talk of it getting worse. There's more uncertainty um, I think there's
0: new trade tariffs. So the yeah, US new is trade putting tariffs. Brand new trade tariffs on China. Yeah. China has retaliated by, I think they're refusing, they've just decided they're not going to buy soy from the US. Oh,
1: that's, yeah. So it's kind of escalating. And there's, yeah, I guess the uncertainty is back now. Especially since Trump can't push his agenda as much mm-hmm. now that uh, the Democrats He's not going to pass it, yeah, House.
0: through law. He's, he's going to have to executive order everything. Yeah. And the uh, issue with executive orders, and so essentially, I, I believe Trump can actually sign anything into law with an executive order. Yes. But when there's a new president, they can virtually undo that with, again, the swipe of a pen. Whereas yes. if you can manage to actually change <laughs> legislation and regulation, then you've got a better chance of that. You're having longevity, yes. Um, now, real estate prices in Sydney are still not great.
1: No, so we're hitting sort of historic lows in terms of clearance rates. So clearance rates are basically how many how many houses u- sell at auction. how many houses sell auction on any given weekend that actually go on auction. So we're dropping down as low as forty one percent. So if you remember correctly, around the peak, we were seeing 85 percent of houses being sold every weekend. So the fact that we're down at you know a basically 30-year lows shows that n- really no one wants to touch the housing market right now. They're genuinely concerned. So, uh-huh. so Sydney house prices have fallen about 7.5%. So if you don't have to sell, already. don't sell. Yeah. Hold on. I think it's I think it's a solid hole because eventually the markets will recover. But right now, uh, not many people are interested in buying. Mm. And I guess there is... Um, yeah, it seems like the Australian sort of uh, consumer market isn't looking too great, and that's sort of feeling this uncertainty. Um
0: I guess people are just, they're watching and waiting. So when the future does start to look yeah. a bit rocky, people might just mm. curb their discretionary spending a bit and start putting away some money for a rainy day just in case they need it. Um, now, yeah. company results, we had, the weren't the, really the last stage of company results. Um, yep.
1: So most companies have reported at this point their annual financial statements. Um, but we're still seeing a few more with um, different year-end dates um, recording, reporting. And it seems like a lot of companies are downgrading their profit and sales expectations numbers before they're reported.
0: And so what normally happens for students, you might not understand this, but a company before the end of the financial year and throughout the year will often make projections on what their profit and their earnings per share and what dividends are going to be. And now we're looking at restatements of those. So a company saying, oh, well, we thought it might be X percent profit or X percent return on investment or X percent earnings per share. But now we're expecting that to be a little bit lower. Um, And this is the expectations game. So, you know, if you're managing a company, it's not just making the right decisions for the company, but it's also managing the expectations of the share market of investors Mm. by giving them signals. And they give them signals by having press releases and briefings throughout the year and then managing those signals. Um, and one thing that certainly the researchers often looked at before is which companies try and beat their mm-hmm. expectations, yep. um, how they use these releases of information as a signal. Because we do have continuous disclosure requirements, Yes. which under the stock exchange says that if you have important information about that would affect your company, you are supposed to disclose that to the market in a way yes. that's fair and equitable. So you can't just give it to one stockbroking company or one uh, fund manager, you have to give that to everybody all at the same time.
1: Yes. Um, so, we can yeah, we can see that there are a lot of sort of indicators that are leading to, you know, these poor uh, expectations for earnings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talk about falling house prices. Um, that's going to affect discretionary spending because mm-hmm. as someone that owns a house... You're you're you are you you do not really you're want to spend money. you locked
0: into your mortgage. But there are in. other places where you it, can save money. Yeah, so
1: well, you're worried about hey, my house isn't worth as much as it was before. I shouldn't be spending too much money, so there's less consumer spending in that respect, and that's pushing down sort of sentiment. And then investors um, are concerned about input costs. Um, wage growth is actually at uh, is actually pretty high now. It's about two point three percent per year.
0: So then we're worried about inflation. So
1: we're worried about inflation and. So uh, that's, you know, that's showing. Up. And interest rates are increasing because of the fact that, you know, the economy has been going pretty well for the last 11 or so years. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been any sort of major economic downturn. Yeah. So there is genuine concern that the economy is going to overheat and we're going to see what happened uh, in 2008 again.
0: Oh, so With it's really it. interesting. When I was at Wakoa last week, mm. we had Neil Ferguson, who's um, a historian. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's a professor at... Stanford and Harvard, I think. Um, But he actually made a TV show about the history of finance and the world. Um, But the uh, UK television company he made this with wouldn't allow him to make two episodes on accounting, which is quite a shame. Mm. But um, in his book, The Ascent of Money, he talks about how and what we got to see in his presentation at the World Congress was how the indicators for the global financial crisis, the recession we had to have in the 90s, were very similar to global downturns that we experienced in the 1930s and in, I believe, the 1890s. Yes. But what has been really different about those is the severity of how long those recessions or those downturns lasted. Yes. And ever since we've had the internet and the connectedness of the financial markets, the recovery... So these... Blips or downturns in the market don't result in long-running recessions like they used to, because central banks from around the world can coordinate. Yes. They're much a- better able to see trends, to see micro movements in markets, and respond accordingly by putting more money into the um, into the system, by yes. you know changing interest rates. And one of the things that was really interesting is that China apparently in the global financial crisis played a much bigger part than Western journalists actually give credit to in terms of keeping the world economy propped up. So what we're seeing now is that world banks, centralised banks, are starting to pull back on the assistance that they were giving um, their economies. And China is starting to pull back, especially with the, the trade war with the United States. So now we're seeing the market really at market forces, Yes. Um, that pure capitalism of the market sort of regulating itself. So this will be a really interesting thing to watch.
1: yeah, but the thing is there's just everyone's just so concerned about how about the economy and whether or not it, it can hold up on its own, which is why I say that um in Australia at least, you know the cash rate hasn't moved for mm. virtually years, yeah, because they're worried that as soon as they increase it, the market. There's a downturn that leads to a recession. Yeah.
0: And people are are so highly leveraged with home loans as well that a small percentage uh, change in the official cash rate could result in significant amounts of people going into financial distress. And then that's going to just add on in that spiralling downward trend for real estate.
1: Yeah, so it's not looking too good. And um, UBS actually um, provided their nuclear scenario, so to speak. So this is a worst-case scenario As in, Australia. like,
0: nuclear bomb scenario, or...? It,
1: it, the equivalent okay. in, in the, so, in the so Australian... So the financial the, nuclear... The financial okay. market, yes. All right, and what did they say? So they basically said that, worst-case scenario, the credit crunch, if it really hits as badly as they're expecting to hit, with, you know, the whole Royal Commission going mm-hmm. on into banking, um, mm-hmm. we are going to see a pretty deep recession. So customers aren't going to be concerned about missing out anymore. They're concerned about not getting out in time.
0: Okay, Basically. so we have FOMO, fear yes. of missing out. And yes. That was always driven, that drove a lot of investment. I've got to get yes. in on this investment opportunity. Yeah. And I'm looking at Nelson's notes here for the show and it says Fongo.
1: It's Fongo, yeah. Fear <laughs> of not getting in. Which out. isn't
0: quite as catchy as, not as FOMO. Not as quite
1: as, as catchy, but that's that's the expectation.
0: But the risk, I guess, of getting out, which you've got a losing investment, an investment that's downgrading in value, at what point do you get out? Do you hold on with the hopes that it'll pick back up? I mean... In- And in 10 years or 20 years, you'll
1: make your money back? Yeah. Or do you cut your
0: losses? Well,
1: at the end of the day, like, if...
0: If you can afford to hold on.
1: Basically. All the evidence shows that in, in like, say, in, in, in the stock market, in the housing market, if you hold on for the long term, you are going to make the greatest gains. Yeah. Right? So, there's... If you can afford to hold on to it, hold on. But if you've got 10, 15 investment properties and you're worried about... Um, the credit crunch and not being able to make mortgage payments then sell you, then probably <laughs> you need get to out, start yeah.
0: selling now then, then later and I guess that almost becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy then um, because Australia has been quite obsessed and enamoured with investment properties as a journey to wealth and there was yes. an article news.com.au have this cash confessions thing and a guy who's on $300,000 a year complains that he and his wife or his partner can't make ends meet because of his aid investment properties. Now, of course, to the red majority of Australia, we just go, we'll sell some investment properties, you dick. Right? <laughs> it, it's pretty simple. Um, yes. But people are quite, you know, chasing this idea of wealth. And I don't know whether social media makes that worse. Yes. It sort of, I guess, makes it worse. Nelson's not on social. No, uh, he I says that pro- that's for productivity. Productivity reasons. Um, but it's really hard because, you know, you're looking at or depending on who you follow, um, you're looking at the highlight reels of people's lives and you're comparing that to your movie going, well, my movie doesn't look so great. But, you know, you don't know what's happening on the other side of that. And I guess celebrity and the the use of celebrities to sell stuff isn't isn't new. But for a lot of young people who think I'm never going to be able to afford a house, so why not just spend my money on you know material things
1: it's yeah it seems like we're going to one of these two extremes because i mean these days it's all about you know self-actualizing and you know finding out who you are so those that don't actually have a house they feel like oh i've got to travel every single year and see all these amazing things like before you tie yourself down with a mortgage yes that is the view right and everyone has this like goal. by the time i'm 30 i'm going to really figure things out and and decide what to do So, so
0: nelson have you got things figured things figured out
1: no, but I don't need to, like... <laughs> You've still got
0: some years before 30. I've got a
1: couple of years before 30, but uh, but I don't need to, like, go on this, like, extreme self actualizing journey, you know, into the wilderness or anything. So I, I, I don't see it. I
0: could just imagine Nelson goes off for five years in the wilderness and um, Nelson will probably come back with, like, a one-centimetre beard after his it, it, five years in the wilderness. I might
1: actually have a beard, yeah. <laughs> the wilderness will turn me into more of a, a masculine dude. All right.
0: Uh, <laughs> So let's get on to our big story of today. And yes. Nelson chose this one because he knows I like to rant about this. Yes,
1: yeah, so I, I think there's a lot, a lot of potential in this article to talk about. So uh, speaking of doomsday scenarios, we've uh, an article in Accounting Today has provided a pretty damning sort of um, view as to what's what going to happen to audit.
0: And it's a clickbait headline, so it's read a, out the headline.
1: It's called Audit Dead in a Decade?
0: Oh. Question mark. And I saw this, so I get the Accounting Today newsletter. It's free to get in your inbox. Um, and it's a great source of what's happening in accounting around the world. So that's a really great thing if you're not already subscribed. But I had to click on the link because it said yes. audit Dead in a decade. And obviously, I love audit. And yes. so I had to click on the audit, link yeah. to see what it said. And every time I see links like this, it just <laughs> makes me angry. So it says, first off, accounting professor David Yermak which is wrong because he's actually a finance professor and he's got a degree in economics. But he thinks, and he's at NYU, New York University, thinks the audit profession may be dead in 10 years. Um, and he's yes. a legal economics and finance expert yep. because of the role of artificial intelligence and blockchain are taking in audit. He yes. says the distributed ledger reduces the need for audit by 97%. Now, That's I have very a feeling... Precise. 97%? Percent. Where is he that coming is... out from this figure where of 97%? I'd, I'd like... I should I should write him an email and say, where does 97% come from? Yeah. Um, and it says, auditors in the future will be competing on the basis of productivity, which essentially mean those who have the hard- fastest and hard- uh, hardware and software will be the ones who are making the money, and fraud will be all but impossible. Now...
1: Okay, so there's lots of breakdown here.
0: So let's start with... Right. Is blockchain going to be the end of everything, right? Yes. there there's this, there's this discussion that blockchain and, – and the way that blockchain works is that it's not one company with a database mm-hmm. that it holds onto. Mm-hmm. And if you've watched Mr. Robot and you've seen uh, the, the demise of e- Evil Corp on Mr. Robot, you know, that was one database. But the idea of the distributed ledger is that everybody has a copy. And that once information goes into the blockchain, and you can use blockchain to keep track of anything, it could be financial transactions, it could be Bitcoin. There was an experiment where the Commonwealth Bank of Australia facilitated uh, through blockchain the movement of 17,000 tons of almonds. Wow. I I don't know why they chose almonds as a case study. Um, But the idea that the information is stored everywhere and that the algorithm self-checks... So that you can't change it because then the algorithm doesn't work out is a really great idea, right? The idea of blockchain and distributed information uh, storage is a really great one.
1: Okay, so just to clarify, so basically I go into Woolworths, I want to buy two liters of milk for my protein shakes, and and I go to (laughs) the checkout. I'm bulking up, so I I go to the checkout. I pay with my card. I tap. Yep. And as soon as I tap, it takes the money. It obviously reserves the money in my account. Does that transaction go directly onto the blockchain?
0: Okay. Is so that what's expected? So if is that Woolworths was on the blockchain, yes. what would happen is, yes, that transaction would be, instead of recorded in Woolworths' private information system, yes, it would be recorded on a blockchain so that you could track your own transactions. Woolworths could track it as well. Would now, it be? Okay. blockchains can be in various forms. So there can be public blockchains where people can everyone can have a look at what's happening. Yep. You could have a private blockchain so that... If you're Woolworths, you might set up a blockchain with all of your suppliers. Yep. So rather than them have their own computer system and you have your computer system, you share a computer system, essentially, in a blockchain. Now, accounting is a lot of different things. It's a scorekeeping system, Mm -hmm. right? Now, that scorekeeping system relies on inputs of information and then analysis. Now... We rely on accounting software right now to do the processing of those journal entries yeah. to create information that we then analyze. Yes. yes, automation and computers have changed that part of accounting greatly, right? There are no people yes. doing debits and credits anymore, mm-hmm. very rarely doing journal no, entries. And even to do you know financial statement analysis with different ratios, that happens, you dump a whole set of financial statements that are coded according to XBRL into a system. It knows what fields are what. Press a button. It'll generate for you all of your ratios. It could use it. So that's already there. It's already there, right? So we already have all of this automation within these systems. But the thing that accounting also is, is a set of policies and procedures to ensure that companies are all working together towards the same goal. All right. And that could be performance measurement and performance evaluation by setting mm-hmm. KPIs. Mm-hmm. It's also even basic systems of how do I record a sale? Where yep. do I get the prices from? Oh, that's locked into this part of the system. Yep. So as an auditor, my job is to make sure that the systems that process accounting information process accounting information appropriately so yep. that when I look at it, I know that it's free of material misstatements, that it's yes. truthful. Right. Yes, so it, it's true and fair. Yes. So I need to look at those systems in blockchain. You still need to have those systems. You still need to have some system to make sure that when you make a sale to a customer, that sale really did happen. Yes. You've recorded the right price. You recorded all the goods that you sold to them in the correct accounting period. Yes. All right, so auditors are still going to need to make sure that there are internal controls and corporate governance over blockchain systems.
1: But can we automate those types of rules? Can we take the assertions?
0: So all of that can be automated and it can be programmed in algorithms. Mm. But as any of the AI specialists will tell you, and it's not AI in the sentient sense, it's really just algorithms. Mm. Artificial intelligence is just algorithms. Is there bias in those algorithms that do this checking? or that do any of this analysis, all right? Because algorithms are designed by people. Yes. And people have unconscious biases towards certain methodologies. You might think one thing is more risky than something else, and that's going to come out in your algorithm. Yes. So with artificial intelligence and with blockchain, we have to ask, are there good internal controls over data going in? Because theoretically, if you are two mobsters, for example, Mm. two criminals, and you engage in transactions and you record them on the blockchain, just because it's on the blockchain doesn't mean that those transactions we've engaged in are appropriate.
1: Yeah, so this is what... yeah. And we might collude.
0: So if we're a related party, so say we're not criminals, we're just regular business organisations, and we're related parties... If I want to transfer profits and use transfer pricing inappropriately, well, I could do that through a transaction recorded on the blockchain. I could say, hey, it's in the blockchain. It must be correct. Yes. And that's not true because there might not be internal controls to make sure that we're doing that transfer pricing within the law or that we're not, you know, I'm not overstating how much I sold something to you and you're not understating how much you paid. So anybody can put, you know, two parties could agree to collude to put false transactions into the blockchain. Yes. So this is where the idea that blockchain is going to kill auditing and it's going to kill accounting is just absolutely wrong. Absolutely dead wrong. And um, when people say this...
1: Yes. It
0: just makes me want to throttle whoever it is. I'm (laughs) I'm never going to go up to David Yermak and, like, slap him across the face. But... You know, it's this sort of opinion is, you know, it gets clicks.
1: Absolutely. So obviously the title, you know, entire- uh, I got it?
0: really upset about it. So it's working yeah. as clickbait. But when you talk to, and, and one person, if you're not following him on Twitter and if you haven't seen him online, Professor, Jay- professor Jason Potts, who's at RMIT, he is a professor in blockchain. Yep. Um, and he's heads up the blockchain unit there at RMIT, says that, you know, all of these blockchains, they're being developed and designed by young kids, you know, 18 to 25, who have the maturity level of a nat. right? They're not mature adults. They don't have access, or they don't have experience in a lot of circumstances to the business world. Yes. And they don't have an understanding of corporate governance. No. So, what we need to do is that we need to carve ourselves a space to say, our role in this is, number one, how do we analyze data from the blockchain? Number two, how do we help companies develop good internal controls around the blockchain so that when data goes in, we know it's correct? Yes. How do we develop these best practice internal controls? And there's already COSO, which is the um, Committee of Sponsoring Organizations, is the global leader in designing internal control systems. I imagine they will be starting to take the lead in this blockchain area. And because it's great that we have this database that people can't change, all right? We yeah. don't have to worry from an audit perspective of people going in and fiddling with journal entries later, mm-hmm. but you're still going to need adjusting journal entries. You're still going to need to have accruals because blockchain measures transactions. It's not necessarily, you know, a piece of equipment is not going to communicate yes. to the blockchain and say, hey, I'm a chair and you used 10% of me this year. So we're still going to make need to have all of these things that means that accounting is and auditing is going to change its role.
1: Yeah, so we're moving less automated, more sort of but making this is judgments. Like,
0: yeah, this 97 percent of you know uh, audit. I think that's just a complete farce. Um, and in the article, it says that you know blockchains are secure by design. There are opportunities for fraud with social social engineering, like phishing, where people uh, criminals target people rather than targeting technology. And, you know, that human hacking is probably going to be one of the big, biggest things that we're going to see. Um, and the question becomes, well, should we have data standards for what gets stored in the blockchain? Because there is also um, some regulations in some countries that say if illegal information is found um, or inappropriate yeah, And in the instances I'm talking about, I'm talking about links to child pornography yes. contained within blocks on the blockchain. Yes. And that's not that might not be everybody engaged in that blockchain, but someone is engaged in a transaction. That essentially, in some jurisdictions, nullifies yep. the whole of that blockchain in terms of the validity of its information. So that's probably, you know, that's one thing to think about. The other thing, and I know that... Ryan Lazanas, who's a CPA and a CA, who's also at the NYU uh, roundtable, said that, you know, the role of the auditor will change and that's absolutely the case. Um, He says, you know, part of our job is verifying data, but also applying accounting standards, which we've talked about. But I guess um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the environmental Hmm. consequences. We talked about the Mm -hmm. UN Climate Change Report, and I saw Ban Ki-moon last week, Mm -hmm. Um, so former Secretary General of the United Nations. He has a very big security entourage, by the way. Very big security entourage. We couldn't get anywhere close to him to even, like, wave and say hello. Um, But he spoke at the World Congress, and, you know, again, he spoke about how the world doesn't wait for politics. Mm. And the thing that really has me concerned about blockchain is that if we're using distributed programming power and to mine Bitcoin or to mine cryptocurrency you need to run servers and servers of computers over long periods of time can we sustain this
1: Isn't there some sort of ridiculous statistic that in in China, about 25% of all electricity is just being used, like power, basically? I don't know. And
0: I challenged Jason on this on, on camera, or maybe it was off camera, I can't remember, but he and I had a conversation and we said I said, look, there's all this discussion about how much blockchain costs. And I said, is there any research or statistics we can point to? And he's like, it's all anecdotal. There's no costing model to figure out the cost of blockchain because it's impossible to know how many computers are on the distributed ledger. Because it's not just blockchain for Bitcoin, there's blockchain for Ethereum, there's blockchains in all sorts of different areas. Yes. So there's no way to say, okay, well, there are 20,000 or a million or 5 million computers, you know, keeping up the blockchain. Yes. And the more people who want to get involved in mining cryptocurrency, because if you are a part of the blockchain, you get a very small commission. Yes. For recording transactions and maintaining the blockchain. Yes. But is it worth it in the end? Mm right? If I could put, you know, however much energy into running a blockchain Mm. versus using that energy to, you know, grow something to feed people, Mm -hmm. then which one do we choose? And how do we move to renewable energy? So, you know, if blockchain is a thing, I have this I always have this weird thing in my mind, picture in my mind when it comes to the blockchain and energy consumption, is that if you want to run the blockchain, you should be like sitting on a exercise bike in your house, like pedaling to generate your electricity (laughs) to run the blockchain. Um, Because that's my big concern. My big concern is that as we lose out on fossil fuels... And we don't take up renewable energy to anywhere the extent that we could or we should, then what does that mean? If we put all our eggs in the basket of blockchain, what happens when we run out of energy? Right? Does the whole world just go into a panic because we no longer have electricity to run the blockchain and now you can't tell who owns stuff? (laughs) Like, that's a bit doomsday. But it's entirely a possibility. Now that's not going to be in the next 10 years or the next 20 years, but that could you know I don't know what the projection is on how long fossil fuels will last um, in terms of coal or whatever, um, mm. or oil and gas, but like that is that is something I could imagine happening.
1: Yeah, because I know there's... Okay, yeah. that's my rant over. I'll let Nelson have
0: something to say now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I guess there are a whole bunch of issues that aren't really being considered in the context of this article. So at the very least, you, you could tell a student who's currently studying accounting... Don't worry, you still got a job. You've still got a job once you finish. Like Just because you know there are articles like this talking about the rise of blockchain and AI doesn't mean that by the time you graduate... You've been replaced by a computer, computer which nah. is not the case. Because I went, uh, I went to a uh, speech recently. Um, the chief economist at Google came and spoke. At, oh, at awesome! Yeah. Cool. And he spoke about you know the role of automation in in the labor market. And basically, there is only one job I think that's ever been completely replaced by automation.
0: Oh, what job is that?
1: A lift operator.
0: Oh, okay. All right.
1: So, you don't. You, that's why, you, you know, when you see, like, those old-fashioned TV shows like Mad Men, they, they walk into an elevator and there's, there's a guy, a guy that, b- presses, yeah. that presses a button. Yeah, that no longer exists because of automation. No other job. Because, again, the tasks that we do... Most the analysis. It, the analysis and the specifics of what we do cannot be replicated... At as, this point. As easy, at this point. No. Through artificial intelligence. Yeah. Even gardeners, they basically mowing the lawn. Like, there are certain... Aspects of it, you, you can can't... actually you
0: can buy a robot to do you, that. You can, so there's you can. a Roomba version of a lawnmower now.
1: I get, but it doesn't, it's not perfect though. No, it can do basically cut lawn to make it one specific length. What about trimming hedges in a particular way? Yeah. Like, you, you can't, these are jobs that you just can't um, phase mm. out. And this was interesting. It's the same thing for this.
0: Uh, we had our teaching and learning forum at UTS just this week, and Shirley Alexander, who's our deputy vice chancellor of education and students, talked about the future mm. and she talked about how. The jobs that are going to be automated are what we would typically call the blue-collar jobs. So, yes. physical, predictable tasks will often be replaced by automation. Yes. Um, so what we need to do is we need to think about well, you know, how do we upskill ourselves? And it's even more important now that accountants have great communication skills. Yes. Have great soft skills because you can't get away with being. The accountant who can't communicate with people sitting in the back room just doing technical stuff. Yeah. Um, The accountant is going to become more and more integrated into everyday business, which means that we need to make sure that our students are having those skills. Yes. And if the World Congress taught me anything or, you know, it gave me something to take back to university, is that our students need to make sure that they're familiar with technology. Yes. Um, And often that's difficult to build into the curriculum. Mm because um, often implementing new types of technology is very staff member-specific. So I know that, you know, when I go on sabbatical, I need to find somebody who's familiar with the technology I use to be able to run that subject in the same way and give students the same experience. So quite often how we teach students is very personal. And if somebody took Mm. over who wasn't really interested in the technology, then we'd have a very different... Um, skill set that those students would come out with so as a student what you can do is make the choice to skill yourself up don't wait for an assessment at the university go on to most universities will have a subscription to lynda.com you can get a 30-day free license to myob a 30-day free license to zero a lot of um, software, uh, and especially cloud-based software now, is thirty-day free license. A lot of those websites, like Xero have a lot of instructional materials about how to actually input transactions, do yep. analysis, yep. skill yourself up in these areas. Yes. All right, um, and take the initiative to develop those skills, and you know that that might be even you know volunteering to do basic accounting for a university club getting involved in, you know, perhaps peer networking or something else to develop your communication skills because this is what's going to set you apart. Yes. It's not necessarily going mm. to be HDs or A's, depending on which sort of university you're at. Yep. Um, it's going to be these types of skills that employers are looking for. And we saw the general manager of LinkedIn Australia and New Zealand at Wakoa and he talked about the top skills in the last 18 months – that people who got jobs, who are titled as accountants, what those top skills were. And the first one was data analytics and data science. So that's even advanced functions in Excel, right? Yep. It doesn't mean data science in the entire degree, right? Yep. Learn how to do advanced functions in Excel. And the second most popular thing was communication skills. Yeah. So if you're not working on that throughout your entire degree, that's something you need to start working on now. Yes. Um. And that's even as simple as saying to the person next to you, hi, I'm Amanda. Mm. It's making those connections Mm. to practice, especially if you're a non-English speaking student or you come from a non-English speaking background. It's hard enough to learn accounting, let alone accounting in English if that's not your native language. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so on Amanda Loves to Audit coming up fairly soon. I've got some interviews. They're buried within the Wakoa Daily Reports, hmm. but I've got two interviews with some international students. Uh, actually, no, probably three interviews with international students who have made it big in accounting, and they'll tell their stories about how you can develop the skill sets to enable you to compete and to get that job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Excellent. Well.
1: So we can basically say that um, there still will be Amanda Loved to There's still
0: jobs. There's still it w- jobs. It won't
1: be Amanda Loved to order. <laughs> no.
0: No. will uh, still be. Not changing my YouTube channel name any, anytime, anytime soon. soon. <laughs> there'll be
1: jobs for everyone.
0: Jobs for everybody. Just different sorts of jobs Just than di- what we yes. expected. Yes. So
1: nothing to worry about. Nothing
0: to yeah. worry about. All Great. right. Now, <laughs> next week, Nelson and I are going to be at the RMIT Accounting Educators Conference. Yes. Well, I'm looking at Nelson because he hasn't signed up yet. I, again, I,
1: I didn't know it was... To go. So I, he's going to sign up to go. That. I will um, look into that.
0: What we will probably do next week is talk about the best things that we saw in accounting education. Yeah, the future um, of accounting the education. The future of accounting education and how you as a student can sort of get yourself on the front foot. Yeah, or as an um, educator. As an edu- or as an educator. Um, and we'll probably even feature some of the universities that we see doing innovative things. So the Accounting Educators Conference is about showcasing the best in accounting education um, around Australia. And we've got even some visitors. The keynote speakers are from South Africa. Mm. And they're doing interesting thing with, things with chat bots and co-created content with students. So there'll be lots of interesting stuff then. Um, and then I think the week after that, I don't know, where am I? I'm in Melbourne. So we might have another quick break while i'm at um, a technology conference unless nelson nelson might have a guest host
1: Uh, yeah maybe maybe (laughs) so we'll, we'll see
0: what happens but uh have a great week everybody and um if you've got any questions for us as always you can find our details on the uts website and get in touch okay bye